With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Thursday, December 23rd, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network that allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, or if you're a UK expat, BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, get your access and keep your data safe with Liberty Shield's VPN. You can get instant download to your devices from the Liberty Shield website. And if you use the code EPL599, you get your first month for one quid. $6.99 thereafter, but no contract, no obligation. LibertyShield.com, it is the Internet's number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. LibertyShield.com, EPL599 at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. And use the code EPL10 on the EPL site, RED10 on the Anfield Index site to get yourself 10% off at discount. Whole new line of merch, whole new line of cups and mugs out. On the EPL side, loads of great stuff on the Anfield Index side. If the codes don't work, put the transaction through and tweet at EPL Index or at Anfield Index. Send them a DM with the transaction code and they'll refund you the difference. Etsy's having some sort of weird issue with codes at the moment. Right, folks. EFL Cup last night. Three quarterfinals played. Plenty of drama, plenty of excitement. But let's start off with the game that didn't have as much drama or excitement. Chelsea 2, Brentford 0. Not the best game of football you'll ever see. Brentford missing some players. Still no Ivan Tony. Hopefully he'd be back, but he wasn't. Chelsea with, you know, quite a few players out. But a good opportunity for for a couple of young players to, to get some experience. I thought Harvey Vale, who played up front, was outstanding. Uh, Chelsea fans have been talking about him now for about 18 months and what a huge prospect he is. And he really did live up to the uh, the billing last night. He played up front with Sunsop Bell. He struggled a little bit, looked a little bit out of his depth, I thought. Ross Barkley played in behind them. He struggled a little bit, looked a bit out of his depth. 
Uh, but the big news for me was that I thought Saul had an outstanding game in midfield. I thought he was Chelsea's best player. Him and Kovacic in midfield, Alonso and Simmons as wingbacks, Sar, Chalaba and Aspilicueta as a back three. So very, very much a changed team. Kepa in goal. Kepa made a couple of good saves. Fairly straightforward, but he had to make them and he did. Um, it was a stronger team from Brentford. Fernandez currently first choice with Raya out. Pinnock, Janssen and Sorensen. Sorensen normally wouldn't be in the team. Certainly not in that role. But a decent back three. Canos, Jensen, Van, uh, Janelt, Baptiste and Rico Henry. So a strong midfield. And Bomo and Wissa as the front three. Wissa missed an absolute sitter. An absolute sitter from about four yards out. He pretty much put the ball in Kepa's hands. Um... It was a decent game. It wasn't a great game. Both sides had some chances. And then Pontus Janssen put into his own net on 80 minutes. Uh, Rhys James had come off the bench. And it was his cross that Janssen diverted into the goal. On 85 then, Christian Pulisic had also come off the bench. Along with Kante and Mason Mount and Jorginho. Pulisic brought down by the goalkeeper. It's a clear penalty. There's no doubt about it. Up steps Jorginho. It's 2-0 and Chelsea are through with minimal fuss. So they will play in the semi-final and waiting for them is Tottenham Hotspur. Tottenham went one up through Steven, Steven Bergvine. Good interplay between Bergvine and Heusberg. Bergvine with a tidy finish on 29. Jared Bowen equalised three minutes later. Comical, comical defending from Eric Dyer. Gifted the ball to West Ham in a dangerous position and then got turned inside out by Bowen. Good finish past Hugo Lloris and it's 1-1. But just two minutes later, we get three goals in five minutes. Lucas Mora gets on the end of good work by Bergvine and it is 2-1 to Spurs and that's how it remained. West Ham missed some really good chances. Hugo Lloris pulled off a couple of great saves. One in particular from Suchek. It was absolutely sensational save. Genuinely one of the saves of the season. I thought West Ham got good performances from Vlasic, from Ben Johnson, who recovered from the, um, the hamstring injury. The back three did not fit Issa Diop, though. He did not look at all comfortable left side of the back three. And that's hopefully not an experiment Moyes will stick with too often. But he didn't really have much choice. He's a lot of defenders out at the moment. He doesn't really want to play Masawaka as a left back. So he had to sort of go back three. But I thought West Ham put in a good performance. So did Spurs. It was a, it was a good game. Evenly matched. Two teams, not at full strength, but certainly with... Stronger 11s than some we saw in other games. And uh, obviously both clubs taking this seriously. Both clubs want that silverware. It's been a long time for Tottenham. It's been a really long time for West Ham. And unfortunately for West Ham, it won't be this year. So we get Tottenham versus Chelsea in the semi-final. First leg to be played at Stamford Bridge. Now, as things stand, it's to be two legs. But... We don't know yet because the Premier League have said they may change it. They may do away with the second leg or they may request. I think the EFL themselves will have to agree to it. But they will request 
that there be no second legs. So we'll wait and see whether that's a two-legged tie. And if it is only a one-legged tie, where is the game played? Do Chelsea just get the home field advantage or do they move it to a neutral venue? With them both being London teams, it does make it a bit easier. They could play it at the Emirates. They could play it at the London Stadium. Makes it a lot easier for them. The other semi-final will see Arsenal take on Liverpool. Arsenal obviously beat Sunderland 5-1 on Tuesday night. Liverpool overcame Leicester last night on penalties. Guy, I believe I called that one. I believe I said Liverpool will beat Leicester on penalties. I think you did, to be fair to you. I'm going to take a a victory lap. I could be wrong. Go and check yesterday's podcast. I think I picked Liverpool. I think I picked all of them correctly last night. I think I picked Chelsea to sneak by Brentford. I picked Tottenham to beat West Ham. And I picked Liverpool to beat uh, Leicester on penalties. So I'm going to take a victory lap. Don't get many of them. When it comes to predictions, I don't get many of them. But I'm going to take this one. Back to normal tomorrow. That's exactly it. Back to getting everything wrong tomorrow. Don't you worry. Uh, Vardy put Leicester one up on nine minutes. Tidy finish. Liverpool's defence all at sea. Liverpool lining up with a much weakened team. Kelleher in goal. Bradley, Gomez, Kemetio and Simicus at the back. So an entirely changed defence. Henderson, Morton and Oxlade-Chamberlain. In midfield, Nico Williams, the nominal right back playing right wing, Bobby Firmino and uh, Minamino up front. Leicester, much stronger team, much, much stronger team. Casper Schmeichel, Ricardo Pereira, Ndidi, Sayunchu and Thomas. Tielemans, Sumari, Dewsbury Hall and Madison. And then Vardy and Daka. So pretty close to their full strength 11, you would say. Uh, Johnny Evans would come back in. Obviously, Ndidi would move into midfield. Um, James Justin is probably the first choice left back. But, you know, it's a really, really strong team. Harvey Barnes obviously would come into it as well. But interesting to see Rodgers going with such a strong team. After all, his crying about uh, COVID and things like that. It seemed like most of his players made a fairly quick recovery. Leicester one up on nine, Vardy. Liverpool get a big, big break on ten. Tyler Morton flies into a tackle with Ricardo Pereira, gets a yellow card. It should have been red. When The more you watch it, the worse the tackle gets. It should have been a red card. There's no excusing it. It's a bad tackle. Now, Pereira stays on, but half an hour later, he's forced to go off. I assume because of an injury sustained in that tackle. He didn't look he didn't look right after the tackle. So I'm assuming that's what it was. And that's a huge blow for Leicester. If he's out for any length of time, that's a huge, huge blow for Leicester. Uh, Vardy would make it two on 13 minutes. Again, a tidy finish. Again, Liverpool's defence. All at sea. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain got the home side back in the game on 19. Good work from Firmino. Lays off to Oxlade-Chamberlain. Great finish. Disguise. Gave Schmeichel no chance. 2-1, you think, okay, game on here. And then James Madison scores a worldie. There's no other way to describe it. James Madison scores an absolute worldie on 33. And it looks like that's it. Game over. Dead and buried. Liverpool come out in the second half with changes made. Klopp made three changes at, at half time. Very unusual for him. He brings on Jota. He brings on Milner. He brings on Kanate. 
Kanate comes on, immediately picks up Jamie Vardy, puts him in his pocket. Jota goes on, causes absolute havoc in the Leicester defence. And Milner brings that experience into the midfield that had been lacking with Tyler Morton. Ten or so minutes later, Klopp hauls Jordan Henderson off, stinking the place out of it. Klopp hauls off as captain, brings on Naby Keita, and that's where the game starts to change. Now, Brendan Rodgers helps with the changing of the game by bringing on Vestergaard and Ryan Bertrand, two players he insisted on signing. Him and Lee Conjurton. If you want to know what they're all about, Yannick Vestergaard, Ryan Bertrand. They're his type of signings. And Leicester's defence falls apart. They go to a back five, and it's a catastrophe. I, I said all year last year on this podcast, if you're watching Yannick Vestergaard and thinking that guy's a good defender, you're watching the wrong sport. An absolute spoof. Mediocre defender. Dog slow. Great in the air. Awful on the ground. Good passer, but can't defend. Can't defend at all. And certainly looked like... I, I don't even know what he looked like last night, but it wasn't good. None of it was good from Yannick Vestigard. None of it was good from uh, Ryan Bertrand. It was just a catastrophe when they came on. And Liverpool go... Uh, sorry, Liverpool get a second on 68 minutes. Diogo Jota after good work by Minamino. Liverpool in the ascendancy, Liverpool dominating, Naby Keita running the game, Kanate bossing things at the back, Minamino buzzing around, the Reds look good, Leicester look shook. But it seems like Liverpool are going to run out of time until the 95th minute of James Milner cross into the box. Leicester should have dealt with it, they didn't. Great control by Minamino and a stunning finish from the edge of the box that gives Kasper Schmeichel absolutely no chance. 3-3. How Leicester have managed this, I don't know, but it's a Brendan Rodgers special, bottling things from a position of strength. We go to penalties. There is no extra time in this competition. Up steps Tielemans. He knew he was scoring. He scored. Up steps Milner. Milner scores. Up steps Madison. He scores. 2-1 Leicester. Firmino, 2-2. Albrighton, 3-2 Leicester. Oxlade-Chamberlain, 3-3. Luke Thomas, Young kid, good penalty, great save by Cuevin Kelleher. Liverpool have the advantage. Naby Keita steps up, top corner. Sensational penalty, capped off a brilliant performance. Ian Nacho makes it 4-4, but Liverpool have the last kick. It is Taki Minamino. He's had a good game. He's confident. He loves this competition, and he blasts the ball over the crossbar. It is 4-4, and we're heading to sudden death. Ryan Bertrand steps up. The aforementioned, and as with the rest of his performance, his penalty was not good at all. Good save from Kelleher, but one he should easily make. Liverpool, again, have the advantage. It's Diogo Jota. It's never in doubt. It's bottom corner. It's 5-4 Liverpool. It's goodbye Leicester. And the Reds move on. They will face Arsenal in the semi-final. And the first leg is set to be at the Emirates again. We don't know if it'll be one leg or two. If it's a one-legged thing and they're going to move it to a neutral venue, I would assume the fairest thing to do would be to put it at Villa Park. Or even at the King Power. But Villa Park would make the most sense to me anyway. That's what they used to do in FA Cup semi-finals. You remember if there was a North 
a northern team versus a southern team, and it would be at Villa Park. Um, and I miss those days. I miss the FA Cup semi-finals being played at club stadiums rather than at Wembley. Wembley should be for finals, not for semi-finals. So if these are one leg, I reckon Arsenal, Liverpool at Villa Park, Chelsea, Tottenham at the London Stadium. That's probably the best bet. If not, they'll go ahead at Stamford Bridge and at Emirates. It, it, it is what it is. They should be good games. It's a competitive competition this year. Uh, nobody is getting the Manchester City sweetheart route into the uh, into the semi-finals and finals. So, you know, good to see the EFL Cup mattering again. We can be fairly excited about those semi-finals. They do cause a bit of fixture congestion. But look, when you're at the semi-final stage, you want your team to win. I know I certainly want Liverpool to win. Uh, Brendan Rodgers may well find himself in a little bit of bother soon, though, because West Ham fans seem, or sorry, West Ham fans, Leicester fans seemed very much in the mood to see him go yesterday. Now, he'll be safe for a little while longer, but he's got Man City and Liverpool next in the league. And if he gets two Tonkings, they might not keep hold of him. I know he won an FA Cup, but like they sacked Ranieri. He won them a Premier League. He bottled two top four finishes. There's no excuse for either of them. His European record is an embarrassment. Not just at Leicester, across his entire career. His European record is an embarrassment. And they may well decide to move on. He would like to position himself as the next Manchester City manager, but I'm not sure he's got much much wind left behind him as uh, as Leicester City manager. You look at his time at Liverpool in the third season, it fell apart. He was sacked early in his fourth season. Now at Leicester, he obviously came in in like the February, so he got a couple of months run into the summer. But this is year. This is full season number three. So at the end of this season, he'd have been at Leicester a bit longer than he was at Liverpool, and I have doubts he sees out that length of time. I certainly don't think he's there next season. Regardless of what he says, I don't think he's there next season, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's gone before the end of the season. Um, currently. Rafa Benitez is the favourite to be next manager to go. He's odds-on across the board. Skybet, Paddy Power, Betfair, Bet Victor, they all have him pretty much odds-on uh, as the next one to go. Marcelo Bielsa second. Claudio, Claudio Ranieri third. Now, he could go at any minute because we Watford. Uh, Ralph Hasenhutl, I've great doubts that they'd move on from him. As much as there have been, you know, questionable runs of form and he has struggled to really establish them as anything other than relegation battlers I do think they've got great time from there Eddie Howe is next on the list that one seems strange to me uh, no manager to leave makes an appearance then it's Brendan then Sean Dyche then Graham Potter neither of those two are getting sacked nonsense to have them even included then Arteta he should be higher Dean Smith, Thomas Frank Bruno Lage, Patrick Vieira, 
Antonio Conte somehow shorter odds than Ralph Ranić. Now Ranić only has odds at one place, which is Skybet, but there's no chance the Spurs are sacking Conte. Uh, then Thomas Tuchel, then Pep Guardiola, then Steven Gerrard, then Jurgen Klopp, and the manager with the longest odds across the board, David Moyes. Funnily enough, David Moyes. Um, we'll rattle through the news before we take our break. A uh, little bit of continental news. Today marks 10 years since Diego Simeone was appointed Atletico Madrid manager. He took over a team in 10th position. They'd lost four of five. They'd been through five managers in three years. They'd been forced to sell Aguero and De Gea. Simeone takes over. 10 years later, he's still there. Two La Liga titles, two Champions League finals, two Europa Leagues won. Never outside the top three. He has just experienced his first time losing four games in a row. Which comes just after he experienced his first time losing three in a row. Imagine that up until this week, in 10 years, he'd never lost three games in a row. At Atletico Madrid, not at Barca, not at Real, he has made them the powerhouse they are. People think of Spain, they think big three. But they forget that before Simeone, Atletico weren't part of a big three. They weren't even the third best team in the country. You'd look at Sevilla, you'd look at Valencia. Now you talk about Atletico Madrid. And Diego Simeone is the greatest manager in the history of that club. And what he's been able to do there is sensational. I know he's not for everybody. I know some people don't like the style of football. I know some people don't like the the gesticulating, the histrionics, the orchestrating of the crowd. But this guy is one of the best managers in the world. I think he's a top four manager in the world. And I think if people dug into what he's done there, they would be astonished. They sold his entire back four the future of his defence in Lucas Hernandez, the future of his midfield in Rodri, and his main attacker in Antoine Griezmann in one summer. And he rebounded. And they replaced them badly, is the other thing. They replaced them badly. Diego Simeone has done an absolutely amazing job at Atletico Madrid. 500 and 41 games in charge at nearly a 60% win percentage. Think of that. Kike Sanchez Flores, who was there for just under two years, not long before him, he was there for 102 games, won only 41% of his games. Before Flores, Javier Aguero was there, he won 43% of his games. This is not a club where managers have had long runs you know you look back through their history and it just isn't a place that managers have stayed very long obviously at the start of their existence they were the type of club that changed manager basically every year or every two years so they go all the way through to 1940 from 1921 nobody's managed more than two years Ricardo Zamora manages six years, wins one La Liga title and one Super Cup. 
then it's back to two years, one year. Helino Herrera, one of the all-time greats, he wins two La Liga titles in four years there. Now, he would obviously go on to have incredible success with a number of clubs, including Inter Milan, where he won European Cups, one of the greatest managers that's ever lived. He managed four years there. Uh, back to a year, two years, two years, two years. Villalonga gets three years. And we're back to one year, two years, one year, two years, all the way through to Aragonez's first reign in 74 to 79. He gets four years in charge. He leaves. And it's managers not even getting a full year. Aragonis comes back in 82, again, four years. And we're moving on again. Again, it's all short term. It's multiple managers in one season, three and four managers in a season across nearly a decade. This club is an absolute catastrophe. Radomir Antic arrives in 95. He manages three years, wins the La Liga title. He get he leaves. Arrigo Saki, one of the all-time greats, takes over. He didn't even last a year there. Ranieri was there for less than a season. Antic came back, lasted a couple of months, didn't want to stick around. You move right the way through. Uh, Aguirre manages less than three years, just on a couple of months less than three years. Uh, Flores manages less than two years. And then Simeone comes in. Diego Simeone, by four years, is the longest-serving manager in the history of the club. Four years longer than anybody else. Six years longer than anybody since the 1940s. And only, what, a handful of managers have seen more than two years at the club? Six or seven? Is that what I listed? Saw more than two years at the club. One of them was the same guy twice. It is incredible what he's done there. That is That was one of the most dysfunctional clubs in world football. They'd been relegated a couple of times. You know, I mean, they won the league and then got relegated two years later. It's just a sensational mess of a club. And... um he has done amazing work. Two La Liga titles, two uh, Europa Leagues, two Super Cups, a Copa del Rey, and a Super Cup de España. What a sensational, sensational job that man has done. And like I said, I know he's not for everybody, but you have to respect what he has accomplished. You absolutely have to respect what he has accomplished there. Uh, moving on then, AFCON. Hakim Ziyech has not been called up by Morocco for the African Cup of Nations. He missed all six of his country's World Cup qualifiers this year, has not played for Morocco since a friendly in July. Romain Seiss has been called up, Adam Messina and Imran Lusa of Watford, he is also called up. Ilias Chair of QPR is up. Um, somewhat surprising, I have to say. 
It's a decent squad, though. It is a decent squad. And they'll be hard bet in that competition. And Naziri, Hakimi, Amrabat, there are talented players throughout that squad. They'll be hard to beat. They will be hard to beat. But I am surprised that they haven't called up Zayic. Uh, in great news, Sergio Ramos played his second game for Paris Saint-Germain last night after his summer move. And they got sent off. The 27th red card of his career. That is stunning. 27 red cards in his career. Mauro Cardi rescued a late point for PSG against Laurent. Uh, and it's not like PSG sent out the scrubs either. Kaylor Navas, Hakimi, Marquinhos, Kimpembe, Nuno, uh, Nuno Tavares, Nuno Mendes, Herrera, Idrissagana Gay, Angel Di Maria, Ginny Wijnaldum, Leo Messi, and Mauro Cardi. That is a hell of a starting 11. Ramos came on at half time and managed to get himself sent off, which is just the icing on the cake for the whole thing. What a fella. Uh, Ferran Torres is set to leave Manchester City. I have to say, I got this one so, so wrong. Uh, I feel a little bit embarrassed about this. But Ferran Torres is going to Barcelona from Manchester City. Nothing fishy at all about the fact that a guy City paid £20 million for, who's only played 43 games, is going for almost treble the money that City paid for him. Nothing fishy there to be seen at all. Uh, how... Barca are going to finance this remains to be seen. They did take out a loan to consolidate all their debt. They've got 1.6 billion of debt. How big is the loan? How much is the debt growing to? Uh, Ferran Torres is a good player, not a great player. I think if you're paying 55 million euro and a further 10 million in add-ons, I think you've got to be out of your mind. And and I think those figures are light because I saw. I think it was Sam Lee, Manchester City journalist, suggests that the figures were higher than that. So I, I think there's some shenanigans going on there. But either way, off he goes. City won't miss them all that much. Though I will say, I do think they look better this season with him in the team as the false nine than they did with anybody else in that role. Um, I'll take my break. And when we come back, we have uh, listeners' questions. So I'll see you in a minute. Right, welcome back. Forgot to mention before the break, two Premier League games for Boxing Day called off. Liverpool versus Leeds. Leeds, on top of all their injuries, have now discovered they have COVID issues. Uh, so that game is called off. And Wolves versus Watford, also called off. Obviously, Watford all had to call off their last game. This one called off too. Uh, so those two games are off. Rafa Benitez says he has nine fit senior outfield players. Three goalkeepers and kids. They've got Burnley on Boxing Day. As things stand, that one's due to go ahead. Manchester City versus Leicester should be fine to go ahead. Leicester clearly have more than enough of a squad, given what they were able to field last night. So they can roll up to the Etihad and take their walloping. Norwich versus Arsenal. As things stand, is set to go ahead, as is Tottenham 
Crystal Palace, West Ham, Southampton, Aston Villa, Chelsea, and Brighton versus Brentford. There was obviously then a game, Manchester United versus Newcastle on the 27th. Uh, right, we have listeners' questions. So, uh, Adam Patricio, which Premier League clubs will be the most active in the January transfer window? You'd imagine Newcastle will be the most active, largely because they have to. It wouldn't surprise me if Watford did some wheeling and dealing, moved out a couple, moved in a couple, shuffled the deck a little bit. Don't think they'll spend a whole lot, but they might be able to bring in some loans and a convenient free transfer or two. Uh, I don't know that anyone at the top of the table will be massively busy, though I wouldn't be surprised if West Ham looked to bring in a centre-back and maybe won an attack as well. Arsenal, I don't see doing much. Spurs, they would like to bring in a couple of centre-backs. Allegedly a right wing-back, though I have my doubts on that one. I think they're quite happy with Emerson Royale. And a backup forward. So they, they might be busy. Like they did tempt Conte. They may well have to back him. Uh, well, they will have to back him, but they may have to back him in January. I don't see Manchester United doing much of anything. I don't know that you give a caretaker manager any money to spend. I think that would just be foolish. Aston Villa, they could look to do some some bits and pieces. Obviously, new manager who didn't get the summer, didn't get preseason. He might see a couple of needs. And the same goes for Norwich. Wouldn't surprise me if Dean Smith looked to strengthen, bring in maybe one in defence, someone up front with a bit of movement. I think Brighton will look for a striker. They obviously, they've been linked with Kasper Kozlowski, the young midfielder. But I think it, they desperately need a goal scorer. It wouldn't surprise me if they knock on Arsenal's door about uh, Eddie and Katia. I, I think you'll see probably, other than Newcastle, I don't see anybody making more than one or two signings. I think Newcastle definitely will. Watford could, but I'm not sure. Other than that, I think it might be one or two and a certain clubs will just stand pat. So certain clubs will just do nothing. I don't expect Liverpool to do anything. I don't expect Chelsea to do anything. I don't expect you know um, Manchester City to do anything. But with Torres leaving, maybe. And I don't expect United or Arsenal to do anything. Uh, Sandy, Haaland to Liverpool. Is there really a chance? Uh, no. <laughs> no, there's not. There's no chance in hell Liverpool are going to sign Erling Haaland. As outstanding a player he is, and I have no doubt they would pay the transfer fee, they won't pay the wages, and they won't want to deal with Mino Raiola. They just won't. Because you get him in, he'll sign a four-year contract, you'll get about 18 good months, and then Mino will start to chirp that it's time to get a new contract or... It's time for him to move on, and it'll just be a circus. Um, so, no. No, there's no chance. Uh, AMK2889. The starting 11 I sent you consists of good, very good, and great players with a few that could have hit world-class potential. There are no world-class players, though. How would this 11 subs fare in today's game 
10 years ago and through the early part of the 2000s, would they be a team that competes for the Champions League, Europa League, or just a top-half team? Who would be the best Liverpool manager to get the best out of them? Would you change the formation at all or swap some players, some positions with some players? Assume they all stay healthy on a consistent basis. Okay. So he's got... He's got Reina in goal, Carragher at right back, Finnan at left back, Agra and Hippie in the middle, Sissoko, Maxi Rodriguez, Harry Kuehl and Louis Garcia set up in a diamond, Peter Crouch and Robbie Keane up front. On the bench, we've got Dudek, Sacco, Aquilani, Kaut, Risa, Varnan and Origi. So if that's my squad, what I'm doing is I'm going back three. So I'm going to make some changes here. You're going to go Finn and right wing back. You're going to go uh, Risa left wing back. Carragher and Agar either side of Hippia. Reina will stay the goalkeeper, though I do personally prefer Dudek. Just, you know, Istanbul. Plus, when the first season Dudek played for Liverpool, it was still one of the best seasons. I've ever seen by Liverpool goalkeeper. He was unbelievable that year. He just fell apart after that. In midfield, we're going Sissoko and Aquilani as a two. And we're going to play... Crouch and Keane up front, I'm okay with. Garcia, Maxi or Kuehl. I can only have one of them in the team. Maxi. Maxi for me be more consistent, more reliable. So Maxi behind the strikers. Um where would it finish now is the first question. Well actually, sorry, we'll we'll go in reverse order. Who would be the best Liverpool manager to get the most out of them? Rafa. Rafa. Rafa would make them incredibly hard to beat. Uber defensive, but decent on the counter, playing through Crouch with Maxi and Keane sort of buzzing off him. Uh, Sissoko and Aquilani in midfield. Rafa will be the manager. Where would they finish now? They're not as good as Liverpool, not as good as Chelsea, not as good as City, obviously. Um, defensively, they're better than anyone else in the league. Midfield, a fit Aquilani and a fit Sissoko pre-eye injury would have been really good. Front three won't get great amount of goals. I'd still back them to finish above Arsenal. I think they finish seventh. Liverpool, current Liverpool, City, Chelsea, Spurs, West Ham, probably United. Just the firepower would be the sixth that have finish above them. So I'd go seventh. Though if I have Benito, though, we'll go back. So at the moment, seventh. Um, go back to 2010-11. They definitely finish higher. Uh, let's see. I would say that season 
10, 11, 11, 12 sort of range. Fourth or fifth? Fourth or fifth? Now, unfortunately, that season, that would have meant no Champions League football because Chelsea, who finished sixth, won the Champions League and Tottenham, who finished fourth, ended up in the Europa League. Um, bad luck for them. But yeah, fourth or fifth. They would have been better than that Newcastle team, for sure. Probably better than that Spurs team. I'll say fourth. Ten years prior to that, then. Now, back then, you get Rafa at kind of... The early point of his career. But his style of football is more suited to the time. Defensively, they'd have been sensational. Definitely better than Newcastle that year. I don't know if they'd score enough goals to finish in the top three, but they'd get fourth. They'd have finished top four. I don't know there's enough goals in that. You might get some goals off the bench. Um, and Divock, obviously, you've got on the bench. He'd step up with some big moments. But um, if everyone stays fit, yeah. I, I think seventh now, fifth a decade ago, fourth 20 years ago. Um, the Langstar, will you be annoyed if Klopp doesn't win a single FA Cup or Carabao Cup? A lot of people seem to dismiss these trophies, but I'm rather fond of them and do get annoyed when we don't seem to treat them as importantly when we could easily add a few trophies to the cabinet. With the Premier League and CL being so difficult to win, I think it would be a real shame if Klopp era ends, if, if Klopp's era ends with what he's already won and nothing else, when I feel we could feasibly win at least one of the domestic cups to add to his legacy. Arteta won an FA Cup, for God's sake. Aside from that, I wish you a merry, very, very, a very Merry Christmas. Hope Santa treats you well. Um, he won't. He never does. Um, but thank you and Merry Christmas to you as well. Um, yeah, I will actually be annoyed. I will. Because for me, win as many trophies as you can. And I always look at the likes of, of Pep and of Mourinho and of Ferguson. Serial winners. Obsessed with winning silverware. And a lot of top, top managers have prioritised... In particular, the League Cup, because they feel like if you can win that silverware in February, it can be a real confidence boost and a springboard towards the second half of the season. So, yeah, I will. I will be annoyed if Klopp doesn't win a couple of domestic cups. I think just to pad out the CV, if nothing else, but go and win them. I was talking to a friend of mine, Steve McLean, last night. Really good good guy on, on Twitter. We were just discussing the, the squad. This is why I was saying, this is why I want Liverpool to sign a couple more players. Because I would like them to compete for all four competitions, not just throw away two at the start of the year and say, oh, well, we don't have the same depth as Chelsea or as City. Well, you don't need to spend the type of money they've spent to have the depth. Look at the forwards you have. You haven't spent the type of money they have. You've got a more impressive front line than them. Um, you've got a more impressive midfield than them, despite having not spent the same money. And defensively, you've got, you know, I think, man for man, a better defence 
despite spending a lot less money. So, you know, do the same thing with your squad. Liverpool's squad doesn't need a whole lot of work. You know, you look at, let's just say, for example, if Liverpool went in the summer and signed Rafinha, Ivan Tony, and Mazzari from Mazzari from Ajax. Right? Let's just take that as an example. That's not an unrealistic window. That's not mental. So you'd have a starting eleven of Allison, Trent, Konate, Virgil, Robertson, Rafinha, Fabinho, Thiago, Salah, Tony. Mane. That would be your starting eleven potentially. You can you can dispute the starters here and there, whatever you want, but just think of that as a starting eleven. And then you'd have a backup eleven or a cup eleven of Kelleher, Mizrawi, Gomez, Matip, Simicus, Elliot, Henderson. Keita, Jota, Firmino, Minamino. And I didn't even mention Curtis Jones or Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who would still be there. And then all the young players, Kate Gordon, Musilowski, Kwanzaa, Bradley, Beck, Morton. So three signings, Rafinha, 55, 60 million. If Leeds go down, maybe a little bit less. Ivan Tony, 40 million. Masrawi's on a free. So you're talking 100 million. Not outside the realms of possibility. And that would give you two strong 11s to compete. The only thing it would lack is a good backup number six, a backup defensive midfielder. I would go and buy Bubakar Kamara. He's on a free. You don't need to buy him. You could sign him on a free. And bring him in as the backup to Fabinho. That would be the only the only alteration it make. That'd be a fourth signing again, a, a Bosman signing, young player, versatile. Could be your fifth centre back, play both full back spots, and obviously holding midfield. So you could do that, but I mean, then you've you've got tam- temper tantrums happening in in midfield anyway. So yeah, I I don't think it's massively outside the realms of possibility for Liverpool to. To do that, to to go and make themselves capable of competing across all four competitions. Um, But yeah, I will be annoyed if they don't. I will be. Uh, Isaac Gilding, who do you think the the top three players to absolutely maximise their talent are? Not necessarily who has the most impressive trophy cabinet, but who performed at the highest level relative to their ceiling week in and week out for the longest time? Right, there's two ways to look at this. So I would look at it, players that overachieved based on their level of ability. Jamie Carragher would be one. A uh, good player, not a great player, but played at a great level for a number of years. IQ, leadership, commitment, work ethic, all the intangibles working overtime. Clever defender, read the game well, good talker. No pace. Not a big fella. 6-1 maybe at a push. 
decent strength, but not a, you know, not a really well built kind of six foot one. Pretty small for a centre back, especially in England in that era. Carragher overachieved with what he was able to accomplish playing for Liverpool for so long. Um, Darren Fletcher overachieved. Limited ability, box to box type of player, always fully committed. Decent player, made himself very valuable to Manchester United and won a bunch of stuff. For a third one, I mean, Henderson and Milner fall into this bracket. Limited players, very, very limited players, but they've overachieved. Now, Milner's never won anything really as a starter. Milner's a squad player in a good team. Never has been anything more than that. Uh, starter in some kind of decent teams over the years at, at Newcastle, at Villa. But a squad player at City, a squad player at Liverpool. Um, Henderson massively has overachieved. I mean, a very average player who's been very fortunate to play with a lot of good players who've raised him up to a level he would not otherwise have achieved. Um If you're looking for one who kind of falls into that, now Carragher would have obviously been a better player than Darren Fletcher. There's a bunch of those at United over the Ferguson range. You can look at John O'Shea, Wes Brown, uh, Nicky Butt. You know, there's a lot of players at United won a lot of stuff. Phil, Phil Neville would be the third one, I would say, who played above his level. Uh, Phil, a good player. Never a great player, but had a great career. His versatility was the key to it all. An intelligent player, I think. One who took instruction really well. And that's kind of the key with a lot of these lesser talented players. If they're coachable and they work hard, they will do well. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And these guys are an example of hard work, you know, overcoming. Um, but if we're looking at three guys that maximise their ability, Lionel Messi. There's no way to deny that Lionel Messi maximised his ability. The guy is the best player in the world for 12 years. It's never happened before. It may never happen again that one guy is just the best player in the world for so, so long. Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, I even think you could put him into the overachieving category. Because obviously he had great physical gifts. As an athletic specimen, phenomenal. As a football player, not nearly as talented as Messi. But 6'2", lightning quick, incredible explosive, ex explosive nature, great ability to jump and hang in the air, which is a skill in itself. But you want to talk about hard work. I mean, that is a guy who's just obsessed. That guy would go to training, go home, and then start training by himself with a team of people. He puts a phenomenal amount of money into his body to continue to maximize his career and um, extend his career. And I would say... 
I always, I always kind of looked at like players like Ronaldinho, Ronaldo. They left a little bit on the table. Uh, Laudrup left a little bit on the table. Baggio a little bit on the table. They didn't quite maximise what they could have been. There were obviously multiple factors for this. With Baggio, it was a couple of bad injuries. Laudrup maybe just didn't care enough. Um, but one who's always sort of stood out for me is maximising their ability as a player who reached every level of what you would say they should have reached as Alessandro Nesta. I saw him play on his debut and he was just phenomenal. He just looked like an absolute Rolls Royce. And if you look at the whole career, he was a Rolls Royce. Gigi Buffon would be another, you know, came through at 17 at Parma, looked like this massively talented keeper, went on to become the greatest goalkeeper, I think, to ever live. So I think you do need to look at the very upper echelons and a lot of the players up there, especially those who had that longevity. Nesta had longevity. Buffon is still playing. He had incredible longevity. Messi, uh, Cristiano, like that level of longevity is, is incredible. Um, I would say like, in, in terms of the other group as well, the players that kind of overachieved, and Golo Kante goes into that crowd. You know, from a natural footballing ability, he's, he's a fairly rudimentary player. But his energy, his work rate, his intensity, his willingness and ability to just keep going and going and going and going is sensational. I put Javier Mascherano in the same group as him. Um. KR99, what was the top five best individual displays you've ever seen from a Liverpool player in the flesh? So I saw this one when he posted it, so I've actually spent a little bit of time and I've made a list and I've narrowed it to five. I'm not overly... No, I've narrowed it to five. I think I'm happy enough with these five. So, Fernando Torres against West Ham. March... Of 2008, Torres got a hat-trick in the game and was just completely and utterly unplayable. Gerrard scored as well to round out a 4-0 win for Liverpool. Torres was just disgustingly good on the day. A header, a great finish from a count cross, just tortured the West Ham team. Hit the post, third goal's narrow angle, just a sensational performance from start to finish. And Gerrard's goal in the game is, is incredible as well. But if you haven't seen that game, um, do go and watch it. March March 2008, Liverpool 4, West Ham 0. Torres was just completely unplayable. Um, an early one for me, well, not early-ish, Robbie Fowler versus United. December 95. The season Cantona came back, I believe it was. Was it? Might not have been. Might have been the season before the Cantona nonsense. Either way, Fowler scores two brilliant goals, uh, brilliant goals past Schmeichel. Uh, one with left foot, one with right foot. Just a phenomenal performance. Absolutely phenomenal performance. It was the Cantona season. 
It was the season Cantona came back. Cantona came back in like late September, early October. Federer got two in that game, two brilliant goals. Wasn't it that one? Was that the second one? Sensation. Absolutely sensation. Luis Suarez versus Manchester United. The 2010-11 season. He just arrived. He wasn't at the club all that long. The Dirk Cout hat-trick game. Suarez just absolutely embarrassed Manchester United. Start to finish. I was sitting in the main stand. Had a perfect view of him for the one where he dribbles past like four players in about three yards and Dirk robbed it off him on the line. Louis Suarez in that game was just different class. I didn't get to see enough of Suarez live is the only bad bit. Um, have to go Gerard for, for a couple. So I've gone the cup final in 06. The Gerard final. I think you just have to go there. The, the two goals he scored were incredible. The assist, phenomenal. Like that pass to Gibral Cisse was unbelievable. Would have been the highlight of any other game. But he scores two sensational goals as well. Um, there's a lot of great Gerard ones. Real Madrid, United away. That same the the away nine season. Brilliant in both of those. Europa League uh, UEFA Cup as it was UEFA Cup final. Uh, Olympiacos, Chelsea at home in the semi final in 05 was just incredible. The performance he put in that day. I'll go Chelsea in 05, the semi-final. He didn't score, didn't get an assist, but from a tactical and discipline point of view and the work he put in, I'll go Gerard in that one. So that'll be that'll be my five. Um Henners East, what about player what about a player makes you have a soft spot for them? For me, I find myself backing players more who don't come from traditional Footballing powerhouses like Japan or Korea. Plus, I love a lefty. Um, there's an, it's an elegance thing. It's a, it's an, it's a command of the ball thing. Like, I look at a, a Baggio or a Loudrup or a Zidane, and it never, ever looked like it was difficult for them. It always just looked so, so easy and straightforward for them. So, a bit of that. I do get you on the, uh, the players who aren't from traditional powerhouses, like we back our own very much here. So Roy Keane for me was just, he played for United, so what? Roy Keane was Roy Keane. He was he was the one we'd sent forward to take on the world and he did it and he did it better than most. Um, you know, like Mkhitaryan's long been a favourite of mine and part of it is because he's Armenian and Armenia doesn't produce great footballers. Boxers, sure. Uh, kickboxers, sure, but not a lot of great footballers. Um, I think it's it is just it's the aesthetic thing. There is a bit of like a bit of me that's still a bit of a football snob, 
or a football purist. And while I greatly admire, you know, Mascherano for the blood and thunder approach that he took, Busquets. I mean, the the just that grace, that elegance. Redondo, the upright nature, the straight back, head on a swivel. Yeah, it is. It's grace and elegance. It just is. It's an aesthetic thing. Um, and, like, there's players that aren't great at all. Like, Fernando Gago didn't become a great player, but I, I loved him because he had that elegance. He had that air about him. You know, he, he could just put his foot on the ball and you think, this is this is a player. And he'd give the ball away. But, you know, this, this something about that. Um, I always liked undersized centre-backs as well. That's that's something that is a favourite of mine. If you can give me a centre-back who's 5'9 or below, I'm fully on board. And think of the greats who've been 5'9 or less. Baresi, 5'9. Passarella, 5'8. Cannavaro, 5'9. Roberto Ayala, 5'8. Ivan Cordoba, 5'7. 5'7, playing centre-back. Uh, Mascherano, 5'8", 5'9", moves centre-back at Barca. Absolutely bosses it. Undersized centre-backs will always be a thing for me. Give me really aggressive undersized centre-backs and tall, elegant holding midfielders, and I'm in my element. And I love a sweeper. I love a sweeper. But we don't see them much anymore. But, you know. Again, it's an elegance thing. Um, right. Oh, also, what are your favourite of the festive chocolate selection boxes? So I'm assuming we're talking like celebrations, heroes, roses, Quality Street. Because I'm old, I do like Quality Street. But I would say, I would say my favourite is probably. Um. Heroes, maybe? No, I'm a traditionalist. I'll go Roses and Quality Street and leave the rest for everybody else. Um, Right, I've got one here from Mikhail Campbell. What does Borussia Dortmund need to do to win the Bundesliga again or at the very least compete with Bayern? What's your best 11 of players you've seen play for Bayern and Borussia Dortmund? Who would hypothetically win a match between these two? Oh, so you won an 11 from both. Okay. Um, right, give me a, a little piece of paper to start writing on. So, for Bayern, as as good as Nauer has been, I'm still an Oli Khan fan. Uh, Philippe Lamb will be the right back. Alaba is the left back. They're wing-backs, by the way. We're playing wing-backs here. Lothar Mateus will be a sweeper. I'm going to go Thomas Helmer. Now, he played for both. So, he will be in both. Um... 
Helmer. Hmm. That's a tough. That's a tough one. I love Sammy Kafour, but I don't think I can justify putting him in. Hmm. I'll come back to the other centre back spot. In midfield. Effenberg has to be one. I think Thiago's the other, being honest. I, I genuinely do. I think he was just unbelievable for them for years. Uh, I'm going to upset some people here because I'm going Robin. I'm going Ribery as wide players, and I'm going Lewandowski up front. I'm leaving out Thomas Muller, who I adore. I'm leaving out Bastian Schweinsteiger. I'm leaving out Tony Cruz. But it is what it is. Um, as for my other centre-back, I'll go Klaus Augenthaler. I was going to pick someone else, but I don't want to have crossover, so I'm going to leave Helmer out. I'm going to leave Helmer out. I'm going to put him in the Dortmund team. Um, hmm. I'll I'll go Sammy Kufer. Not ideal, but do you know what? I won't. I'll go Marcus Babel because he was brilliant for them. Now I've got Oli Kahn in goal, Philippe Lam and David Alaba as wing backs, Augenthaler and Babel as centre backs, Lothar Mateus as my sweeper. Effenberg and Thiago in midfield, Robin and Ribery either side of Lewandowski. So that would be my that would be my Bayern team. For Dortmund Stefan Reuter is the right wing back. Evan Nielsen played right wing back as well, but I'm going to switch, switch him across and use him on the left. Um, Matthias Sammer is obviously the sweeper. I get Jurgen Koller and Thomas Helmer then as my centre-backs. In midfield, I love Paolo Sosa, so I think I'm going to go him. Andreas Muller will be my 10. I'm going to put Haaland up front. Next to... 
I'm tempted by Amoruso. Loved Amoruso. Great player. Um, Amoruso or Caroline's Riedler could be an option here. Stefan Chap was that. Jaden Sancho. Absolutely loved watching Sancho for them. But you know what? I'll just go Sancho. I'll just go Sancho. I loved watching Sancho. And I love watching Bellingham. So I'm going to put Bellingham into midfield. I know he's only been there a couple of years. I don't care. Bellingham is, is just phenomenally good. Um, goalkeeper is the one thing I'm not sure on for, for Dortmund. Goalkeeper is the one position I just have never really loved any of their options. Stefan Close, who won the Champions League with them, was decent, not great. Um, never really, none of the recent keepers. I suppose close makes sense. He did win two Bundesligas, Champions League. He went on to Rangers, then obviously and did really well there. Won four league titles. Um, I like the current goalkeeper. I have to say, I do like the current goalkeeper. I think Kobel is really, really good. I'll go with him. I'll go with Gregor Cobble. I know he's only played 20 games or so, but I've never really, there's never really been a Dortmund goalkeeper that's caught my eye and I've thought, yeah, he's he's great. But this kid does look the business to his credit. So I'll go Cobble, Reuter, and Evan Nielsen, Kohler, Helmer, Zammer, so uh, Sosa, Bellingham, and then Muller behind Sancho and Haaland. And frankly, I think Dortmund wins. Mm. No, you know what? Bayern would win it. It would be close. It would be close, but Bayern, I think, probably would win it. Um, what was the other part of the question? Oh, what what do they need to do to to compete? Um, it's difficult for them if they could just keep hold of their incredible young talents and not constantly have to sell them. Like if they still had, let's just say they still had Pulisic and Sancho, and they could line up with Haaland up front. Pulisic on the left, Gio Reyna as a 10, Sancho on the right. Let's just say they could have kept Hakimi. Uh, you probably still need a left back, even though you know, Nico Schultz is okay and Guerrero is okay. You'd need centre backs for sure. I, I, they don't have any good centre backs. So. 
don't have any good. I, I do like. It's not, it's not they don't, I, I like a kanji. He just can't stay fit enough for me. Uh, Hummels is done. Zagadu never developed, and that's that's unfortunate. But you look at the current team. Like Haaland is is incredible. You need to build a team that can play to all of his strengths, and that probably means that you stop playing Marco Royce as much. As much as Marco Royce is a really good player still, I don't think players like him fully play to Haaland's strengths. I think you need to become a little bit, not direct, I don't mean a long ball team, I mean a team that plays really up-tempo and gets a lot of balls into the box, directly into the box, not tapping around on the edge of the area, put the ball into the old corridor of uncertainty and let Haaland attack them. So for me to do, for them to do that, I think you go Haaland and Daniel Malin up front. You play Bellingham and Mo Dehoud as a central midfield too. Gio Reyna as a 10. You put Emre Chan in the middle of a back three with a Kanji one side. You buy a left side centre back, a reliable left footed left side centre back. Guerrero and, and Schultz are fine as wing backs. I think you buy a, a right wing back, a really good crossing right wing back with good speed. Max Ahrens. Somebody like him. And you play a higher tempo. You play wide. You get men into the box. Bellingham into the box. Reina into the box. Malin buzzing around on the edge of the box. Haaland attacking everything. Emery Chan can step out and join the Hood and they can form a two to let the others go. So you, you end up with a block of four defensively. Your two flanking centre-backs come narrow. Emery steps in next to Mo de Hood, And you let everybody else go. Defend with four, attack with six. And get the ball into the box as much as possible for Haaland. Don't ask him to do too much. Maximise his ability. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. Um... That's it then. That is all our questions for today. I believe if I've missed anybody, I am very sorry, but I am short of time at the moment. So we'll wrap up with the gossip. Newcastle face competition from Manchester United and Tottenham in the race to sign Kieran Trippier. It, it's incredible how an average right back can warrant such attention because of his passport. Um, Arsenal willing to listen to offers for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. You might get some loan offers. Um, Tottenham want to sign a right wing back in a Ford, and they're looking to offload both Matt Doherty and Deli Alley. Still pushing the Alley thing. He started and he looked really good against Liverpool. So I get the feeling he might get a couple more opportunities. Tottenham, Newcastle, West Ham, and Rangers are battling it out to sign Sam Johnston. 
Um, West Ham have a better goalkeeper than Ariola. Newcastle have a better goalkeeper than Dubravka. Tottenham have a better goalkeeper. Uh, let him go to Rangers. He's on a free, so that might be why some clubs are interested. Uh, Anthony Martial has held talks with Ralph Ranić as he tries to secure a move away in January. Borussia Dortmund are looking to double the salary of Erling Haaland as they attempt to keep him for one year. So they're trying to buy out his buyout clause. They want to give him a bunch of money, keep him another year, and then next summer he hits the open market and the price is hitting two hundred million. He, he, if he hits the open market with no buyout clause, he breaks Neymar's transfer record, in my view. Um, Steven Gerrard is interested in signing Glenn Kamara from his former club Rangers. Interesting, decent player. Um, Barcelona are willing to listen to offers for Serginho Dest, with Bayern Munich monitoring the system. I think Everton should also have a look there. don't think he's good enough for Bayern, but I think he'd be good enough for Everton. Jonathan David, who's been linked with Arsenal and West Ham, will leave Lille uh, in the summer, so says his agent. Real Madrid are also interested as they look to strengthen their squad. Napoli are looking to sign Everton fullback Luca Digne, who's been tipped to leave Goodison in the January window. Arsenal striker Eddie Nketiah's contract runs out next summer, and the English forward could leave in January. Brighton, Crystal Palace and West Ham are among his admirers, while clubs in Germany and France are also interested. I think they should all be interested. Those three mentioned, I think Newcastle should be in that mix. Norwich should be in that mix. Eddie and Ketty will get you goals. Watford are interested in signing Salid Kolasinic in January. Jeez, swept. Um, Borussia Dortmund will try to sign Jude Bellingham's brother Job in a bid to convince him to stay at the Signal Iduna Park. Um, it's from Football Insider, so it is crap, but it does make sense that they would try and sign Job, who's meant to be very, very talented. And that's been linked for a couple of years. That's basically been talked about since Jude went to Borussia Dortmund. Barcelona are struggling to offload Samuel Mtiti and Phil Coutinho because both players don't want to give up their lucrative contracts, and rightly so. Liverpool are monitoring Luis Diaz, a replacement for Sadio Mane. I would love Luis Diaz at Liverpool. That is it. That is the gossip. That is the show. Thank you, as always. See you tomorrow for incorrect predict predictions. Lots and lots of incorrect predictions coming up tomorrow for the eight games that remain on the Christmas slate. I'll see you then. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.